From the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel, hear these words. When Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live. So he went with him. While he was still speaking, some of the people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When they had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the, girl, the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went into where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years of age. And at this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Richard and Nancy C. have gone on to the church triumphant. They were very faithful members of First Methodist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Richard C. for many years sat on the board of the Methodist Children's Homes and was always coming back and forth to Ruston for meeting. Richard and Nancy were two of God's choicest people. They had no children, so they had a bunch of nieces and nephews that they had adopted. When we found out we were going to Lake Charles, Richard and Nancy invited Tamara and I to come have supper with them. Um, Tamara knew both of them previously. She was on the staff at the United Methodist Foundation for years, and um, I am where I am because of my wife, and I readily admit that. I have gone to glory on her coattails. So we... we um, Met the seas at the Pioneer Club in Lake Charles, and we had a lovely meal. Watched the sunset uh, over the Calcasieu Ship Channel there, and listened to Richard's stories and Nancy's stories, and just a, a good evening. They were trying to find out if their preacher knew English, and I used big words, so I passed. Getting ready to leave, and Nancy C. said, I have a question for you, preacher. I said, yes, ma'am, Miss Nancy, what's your question? She said, are you a hugger? I said, beg pardon? She said, do you like to hug? And I thought about it, and I said, well, Miss Nancy, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. She said, well, preacher, I believe that every human being needs 12 hugs a day to survive, and you better get used to me hugging. And the whole time I'm running the lessons I learned in seminary, they teach you as a preacher in seminary, you better not hug anybody. I had a professor that said, young men, don't hug anybody. There's a theological reason for it. If you hug the cute ones, you have to hug the ugly ones, too. 
I didn't think that was very nice, but he said it, and I've lived it. I said, Miss Nancy, I'm probably not a very good hugger. She said, you're going to learn. And every Sunday for eight years, Nancy C. would come out of the back door of the church at Lake Charles. You know, it's, it's the sermon time when people, great sermon preacher. Yeah. We know you're not telling the truth. Woo! It wasn't a sideways hug. It wasn't a lean-to and pat the back real quick. You know, the lean-to and pat the back real uh-huh. It was whoom. She held me for so long, sometimes she'd share prayer request while she was hugging me. Goodness gracious, that woman could hug. Americans are not huggers. We're not even touchers. Psychological study was done by Sidney Gerard and a team from all over the world, actually. And the experiment was an observational experiment. They went to sidewalk cafes in different countries and they observed persons eating at the sidewalk cafe or drinking coffee at the sidewalk cafe for one hour. And they noted how many times the people touched each other in that one hour. In one hour time, people in Great Britain touched each other zero times. Did not touch each other. By contrast, Puerto Ricans touched each other 148 times an hour. North Americans barely beat our British brothers and sisters. North Americans touched each other on average two times an hour. We don't touch each other. And the staff can tell you, I've been talking about this sermon for nearly two weeks, driving myself crazy. How do I preach it? Because without telling you, it's a sermon about touching. Oh, my goodness. We thank God for Fauci because he got rid of passing the peace. Yeah, you used to do that in church. Yeah, and most of you, I hate the passing of the peace. I had people in Natchitoches that knew I was going to do it. They'd get up, walk out of the worship space, go get them a cup of coffee until the passing of the peace was over, come back in with their cup of coffee and go, glad that's over. That's how bad we hate it. We might have to shake hands. We might have to talk to a stranger. Somebody might give us an unauthorized church hug. I was in a volunteer admissions group. We went to Tampico, Mexico. We were down there for nearly a week. And it was Sunday morning and we were worshiping with the congregation. And there were about, I think, 25 of us on that VIM trip. They had to make a, a law about our church because we kept taking too big a group we're down there worshiping. I'd found my way to the back row. It's a great place to be in Hispanic worship service. And the pastor was trying to engage us in worship. He was speaking his native language, but he was also occasionally translating into English. And he got to the point of the passing of the peace. And he said, now for my North American friends, we're about to pass the peace. And I want to tell you, we do it down differently down here. We're all leaning in like, Okay, this could be nerve-wracking. He said, we pass the peace by offering each other a holy kiss. (sighs) 
There was no getting around it in that culture, y'all. We don't touch. And yet Jesus went around the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel. He's touching everybody. Jesus went around and he ate with sinners and, and he ate with them and drank with them and had a good time with them. And I can imagine Jesus hugging some folks and we see him always laying hands on people. The early church taught if you're sick, you need to call for the elders of the church. They need to anoint you with oil, lay hands on you and pray for you. Paul, the apostle Paul is the one that created the holy kiss for heaven's sakes. If you don't want to like the apostle Paul, don't like him because he created the holy kiss. North Americans, we don't touch each other, and the preacher is stopped preaching. He's done going to meddling because he's going to talk about touching. Jairus comes to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick. Jesus said, take me to her. In the meantime, there's an interruption. And when you read the miracle stories you're going to read today, there's also an interruption in the 11th chapter of John's gospel that's a lot like this interruption. Jesus doesn't get to where he's supposed to get on time and somebody dies. The interruption is a very familiar story. It's the woman with the issue of blood. She knows that Jesus is coming by. The scripture tells us this woman had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured. The Greek word is mastix. She had endured. It is translated whipped, lashed, or tormented. She had been whipped, lashed, or tormented much under many physicians. She was a woman of stature. She was a woman of means and had income. She could actually pay for a doctor and she has spent everything she has on doctors and she is not healed. An issue of blood for 12 years, which renders her ceremonially unclean. She can't touch another human being. She can't be touched by another human being. We're the inference of the text is her marriage is long since ended. She can't go out in public. She is alone. She is lonely. She is isolated. She is just like a leper. But she thinks if I can only touch him. If I can only touch him. I'll be made whole. And there's only one way she can get to him. She can't stand up and say, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. She has to get on her belly and reach through the feet and touch the hem of his garment. It's a humbling, humiliating position to be in, but she's willing to do it because she believes Jesus can make her whole. And she touches the hem of the garment and she is made whole. She knows immediately she's been healed. And Jesus knows immediately that Dunamis' power has gone out of him. And he turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples look at him and says, Lord, come on. Look at all this crowd pushing against you and jostling you. You, you can't ask us who touched you. I'm serious, Jesus said, who touched me? And the woman's caught. And she again comes with fear and trembling and she falls down before him likely again on her face. And she told the whole truth. And he says to her, daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. He calls her daughter because he is opening the doors to community back to her. She hadn't had a family. She hadn't had friends. She can't go to the temple. She can't go to the synagogue's daughter. Your faith has made you well. I welcome you back into the world. I welcome you back into your family. I welcome you back into your faith. You are no longer isolated. You are no longer unclean. You have been made whole. Welcome back. The whole time Jairus is standing there going, well, this is nice. My daughter's sick. And about that time, somebody shows up and says, don't bother him. Your daughter's dead. I wonder how the leader of the synagogue felt because he knew this woman. He knew her circumstance. He knew why she wasn't ever there. He knew she was unclean. He knew she was isolated. He knew of her frustration. He's witnessed a miracle, but he's seeing one being denied his daughter. So Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, says, come on. They go into the house, and there's a commotion. They, the, the, um, they're already weeping. Even the poorest of Israeli or Jewish families were required upon the death of a loved one to hire mourners. They were required to hire a flute player and two wailing women to come in to, to mourn for the child. So we see by the text, they've already hired the professional mourners. Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child's not dead but sleeping. They snicker at Jesus and he throws everybody out, goes in the room, takes her by the hand. He takes her, Jesus is touching the unclean. That's two uncleans he's touched. Actually three in this chapter because you had the Gadarene demoniac or the Gerasene demoniac depending on if you want to believe the King James or the New Revised Standard. Jesus is not afraid to touch unclean people. He lifts her up by the hand and says, Talithakum. Talithakum is a way of calling her daughter. It's translated little girl get up, but it can also be translated daughter get up. Here's two of them. You got the parallels in these passages. They're both females. They're both healed by a touch. He calls both of them daughter. They're both 12 years old. One's had a sickness for 12 years. The other one's 12 years old. And you ought to be going, hmm, does that number 12 mean something? Yes, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. You should read this as, hmm, there's a real miracle here, but this is a bigger miracle than what's signified in this text. And they are both unclean and Jesus touched them. We don't touch people. Are we missing out on miracles because we don't touch people? Are we missing out on being healed because we won't be touched? Human touch is essential to human well-being, especially among infants, toddlers, and children. Frederick the Great of Prussia was a powerful ruler during the European Enlightenment. He was a man of great scientific curiosity, and he once conducted an unusual and turned out to be a cruel scientific experiment on the development of human language. The theory was that when infants began babbling, you remember that? They were actually speaking the ancient language of the Garden of Eden. 
but that the children lost this spiritual mother tongue as they grew up and learned the language of their parents. So Frederick tested the theory by isolating newborn orphan babies from any contact with other people. Specifically and specially trained nurses would see to the baby's basic needs, but no physical contact or exposure to language was permitted. And once the child grew old enough to speak, they would be brought into the presence of other children in an experiment to see if they could converse with each other in this Garden of Eden language. Frederick's experiment was a failure. Not one of the children lived beyond infancy, let alone to the age where language develops. The one thing Frederick did learn from his terrible, cruel experiment was that physical touch of another human being is essential to life. If babies are not picked up or hugged or caressed, they have a slim chance of surviving. That's why in NICU units, suddenly rocking chairs have broken out among all those incubators because they figured out we've got to be held and we've got to be touched. But we don't touch each other. Used to, you go to the doctor's office. You'd walk in the doctor's office. Old Dr. Smith would, he would send you into the examining room and in come a nurse. And the nurse would actually touch your wrist. Nurse was getting your pulse. Lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. She'd count. She'd slip that cuff on your arm. <laughs> pump you up. Doctor come in. Sometimes they'd lay you down on a table and they would poke your belly. They'd feel the belly and they would they would do this thing and this thing and this thing and they would listen. They'd get their stethoscope out. You know, stethoscopes come in different lengths. And my doctor had a short stethoscope because he wanted to get right up there in your face while he was listening to your heart because he also wanted to let you breathe. What happens when you go to the doctor today? Go in the examining room, here comes the nurse, slips that thing on your finger, does your pulse ox, does your pulse, lets them know how much money you've got in your wallet so you can pay your bill. Put the thing on your arm. It's connected to what? Machine. Doctor comes in, sit down, look at you with suspicion. What are you doing here? Walk immediately or sit down beside you at a keyboard. They haven't looked at you. They haven't touched you. They haven't listened to you because why? We don't touch each other anymore. We got fouchied. And it's going to kill us. Two years ago, I went to see the doctor. I have one of those maladies that I have to have blood work done every quarter, whether I want to or not. I hate a, I hate a needle. There is no good use for a needle. Every quarter, we're going to steal your blood. So I go back to the doctor and get the, the results, and she said, hmm. You've got one of the modern American problems with your blood. I said, what is it? She said, your vitamin D is low. 
you know, vitamin D. You go out in the sun, throw your arms out like this and say, son, help me create some vitamin D. Except we're afraid we might get sunshine. So almost for the first time in history, Americans now are having to take supplemental vitamin D because we're not getting enough of the free stuff from the sun because we're afraid of touching each other. Nancy C. and those huggers are right. There is a value to human touch. I don't have the list right here in my notes, but there is a value of human touch. And part of touching another human being is following Jesus in discipleship. Discipleship's not about having all your your needs met. It's about being in the presence of Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus. And it's about following Jesus and doing the same things that Jesus did. What did he do? He touched unclean people. He offered them affirmation and love and grace and hope and life by touching them. What would happen if Trinity became known as the Huggin Church? But you see how paranoid even the preacher is in this culture. These are my notes. And the very last line of this sermon, next to the last line, says the miracle of human touch. The very last line of the sermon says, get permission. Don't violate anybody's boundaries. If you're praying with somebody, ask them, can I hold your hand? If you're in a situation and you feel a a hug would be appropriate... May I give you a hug? If they say yes, go for it. If they back off and say no, respect it. We've got to learn how to practice contact again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Because we're not touching ourselves and each other to death. Get permission. Because some of us actually are introverts and we hug like this. Just get over it, okay? You can hug me. I might not hug back. But there's power. And the miraculous power of Jesus is seen through his touching of other people. And he gave that ministry to us, the church. Would you stand and pray with me? We thank you that the Holy Spirit touches us and that touch heals us. And we pray that in the name of Christ and in the Spirit of Christ and getting permission, we would learn how to touch others in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.